From an undisclosed location in the great state of Michigan, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Our air conditioning went out this week. Not a cool circumstance when smack dab in the dead heat of summer. Anyone who's been in this situation knows the drill. Move to the basement, turn the fans on, and sweat the night away until the heating and cooling company turns the AC back on. Well, just as things were heating up in Casa de Descher, I began to get news alerts that things were also heating up in our relations with China. Except in this case, hiding in the basement is not the strategy to employ. To bring us up to speed, here's a short montage of what's happened since the beginning of July. Well, today, the Trump administration sanctioned three senior officials of the Chinese Communist Party for alleged human rights abuses targeting ethnic and religious minorities. China's foreign ministry spokesperson says it will ban several U.S. lawmakers from entering the country, including Senators Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, Representative Chris Smith and Ambassador for Religious Freedom Sam Brownback. This comes after their open criticism of the ruling Communist Party's policies toward minority groups and people of faith. President Donald Trump announced his administration's latest move to pressure China. Today I signed legislation and an executive order to hold China accountable for its oppressive actions against the people of Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Autonomy Act imposes sanctions on people or entities that conduct business with Chinese officials responsible for implementing Beijing's new national security law in Hong Kong. We do have some breaking news right now because moments ago, the U.S. State Department is accusing China of a massive illegal spying operation and ordering Beijing to close this consulate that you see in Houston. All right, breaking overnight, Beijing re retaliating as expected against the U.S., ordering to close its consulate in China. The move coming just hours before the Chinese government is set to be evicted from their consulate in Houston. Intel sources telling Fox News that China officials based in the Houston consulate were targeting U.S. energy firms and also perhaps fomenting some of the unrest through social media in U.S. cities. The most common phrase used to describe this, or shall we say the media narrative, is tit for tat. The U.S. imposes sanctions and China responds with sanctions. We close a consulate and they close a consulate. But is it tit for tat? What the heck does tit for tat even mean? Well, according to Merriam-Webster, it means an equivalent given in return as for an injury or retaliation in kind. So is that what this is? Both sides just retaliating in kind? Or given China's aggressive new national security law that significantly restricts the economic and political freedoms long enjoyed by the people of Hong Kong, 
or blatant human rights violations against Uyghur Muslims, or an aggressive diplomatic and propaganda effort during the COVID-19 crisis, which totally evades responsibility for its own failures, does this go beyond tit-for-tat? China viewed our, our unwillingness to defend our own equities as basically a green light to take advantage of us. So what we've done the last four years is really to flip that strategy on its head and say, rather than avoiding the contentious issues, rather than avoiding areas where we fundamentally disagree with China, let's highlight those. Let's challenge the Chinese on those things, demonstrate where we are willing to protect our interests and force the Chinese to respond and accommodate to that. That's our friend Jim Carafano. He's one of our favorite experts here at Heritage Explains and also the vice president of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy here at the Heritage Foundation. On this episode, he helps turn the air conditioning back on by putting this media narrative of tit-for-tat with China in perspective and talks about the right way for the U.S. to respond to China during these challenging times. Dr. Carafano, let's talk about the closing of the Chinese consulate in Houston. Now, we know the U.S. claimed they were closing it because of security issues, spying, theft, you know, kind of some of the usual suspects we hear about um, China infiltrating our country. First of all, for the listeners and for me, I want to know what what is China stealing in Houston of all places? Well, I think I don't think folks really know the backstory here. And so first of all, we've gone through this period in the last several weeks of, of what's really called uh, wolf warrior diplomacy. This is a reference to some very famous Chinese films where they have this Chinese secret agent and he runs around the world and he's, you know, advancing Chinese causes and protecting people. And all the bad guys just somehow wind up being funded by the CIA or some capitalist or something. It's just this very aggressive attitude which is unusual to see from kind of public Chinese officials. It's been so aggressive and so over the top for months, really since the outbreak of COVID. And then all of a sudden the Chinese kind of flip the thing and they go, why is America picking on us? As if like, we're, you know, we're just innocent bystanders here. Like what's going on? So the reality is, is if you go back, we actually evacuated our consulate in Wunan a while back when, when the, when, during the COVID outbreak, which makes perfect sense. The Chinese have really prevented U.S. diplomatic personnel from trying to go back in and start that consulate up again. So they actually started this and with no provocation, right, preventing the operation of a U.S. consulate in Wuhan. And the U.S. closes an embassy for a perfectly legitimate reason, which is you're conducting espionage out of a diplomatic facility. And then the, the, the Chinese then, they don't close Wunan, which would have been, you know, it's closed anyway. So that would have been kind of, okay, that's one for one. They Cochenju, which is actually a very important consulate. But more importantly, it's one of the few ways the U.S. can really collect on um, Chinese human rights abuses in Tibet. China really is taking advantage of the situation and doubling down. So this is not about tit for tat. The United States actually being quite reasonable. The U.S. policy here, getting back to your, your question about spying, is the U.S. policy is really something in diplomatic circles that's called reciprocity. 
which if you think about it, you know, I think kind of like the golden rule, you know, treat others as you would want them to treat you or basically, Hey, you know, what's fair for us is kind of fair for you. And the United States' position is, you know, for 20 years, we've had this very unequal diplomatic policy. We let the Chinese come here and do virtually anything. I mean, we treat them just like every other country. Come in, you got your students, military people running around. You want to meet with an American official? Fine, no problem. We'll do that. The Chinese have never treated us that way. The closure of the consulate was really an extension of a policy that's been in place for years by the U.S. government. And the U.S. policy is anything but escalatory. It's the opposite of that. It's essentially, we want you guys to stop doing the malicious and destabilizing behavior that's impinging on our interests. And then when you do that, we will treat you like a normal country. So let me just back up here a little bit. I mean, I've just been bombarded with this narrative of tit for tat. It's, oh, they did this and we're doing this over there. So they close one, we close one. And basically what the narrative that that they're getting away with is, is that China spies and steals here in America and we're doing the same thing over there. So they're legitimate in closing us down as well. Tit for tat kind of a thing. Respond to that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think you have to understand how uh, espionage works. And diplomatic posts have always been used as a cover or as a contact point for espionage, going back really almost to the Middle, Middle Ages. Their consulates here are basically the perfect instrument for intelligence collection, and ours aren't. So why should we let their consulates run undisturbed? So why is there a consulate in Houston? Well, there's a lot of business dealings between that part of Texas and China, a uh, lot of interest in the U.S. energy industry. There's a lot of major universities in there, a lot of major research universities. Um, Houston is in many ways uh, a transit point for economic activity throughout the United States. So if you wanted to be in a place where you had lots of access to lots of people and lots of things that could potentially have high intelligence value you know, outside of Washington, D.C., because, again, again, this is the difference between China and the United States. Our intelligence collection is primarily focused on matters of national security. What's the Chinese government thinking? What's the Chinese military doing? We might be curious about human rights, for example, because that's part of our foreign policy. China's intelligence collection is much more broad. They have this thing called military civil fusion, which essentially is every activity really is subservient and part of the Chinese national government. And economic matters to them is just much a matter of government interest and concern as military matters. So they're, con they're doing on a large scale what we would call economic espionage. Um, finding out about companies, stealing intellectual property, looking at research. Uh, they can claim that they're not doing that, and their defenders can claim that they're not doing that. And no, China rose really kind of on its own. But for example, if you go back and look at something called the, the U.S.-China Commission, which is a congressionally mandated commission that puts out a report every year and has for many, many years, go back and just read all the annual reports that really document, uh, in a public way, document Chinese malicious activity in the United States. It's it's kind of black and white. I mean, that's not really up for debate. Do, do you think that there will be um, more closings of consulates here? And then in response, what would that be for us, for China to continue closing our consulates in China in terms of our national security? 
Well, I, I think it gets to the reciprocity issue. I think the the negative consequences for closing consulates are a lot more impactful on the Chinese than they are on the United States. We're going to find other ways to collect intelligence. I mean, China's already a hard target. We know that. It's a closed society. But every day, people find very creative ways to get around that. So, for example, one thing that, that one group did was they uh, used photo intelligence, those openly available satellite photo intelligence, and they looked at the compounds where the Chinese were detaining Uyghurs. And by measuring the height of the building and the number of windows uh, and looking at Chinese documents that talk about requirements for housing, they could guesstimate the number of Uyghurs that were detained in these buildings. What's very, very interesting about this is we're always coming up with creative ways to find out more intelligence about what the Chinese are doing in a, in a very non-permissive environment. So it's a, for us, it's a constant cat and mouse game. But the difference is, is look, we've made this way too easy for the Chinese here. They literally come over and America's an open door. Why we give them a kind of access, uh, it, it, to me, it's just, it's irresponsible. Yeah, and you mentioned Uyghurs, and um, I wanted to use that as a transition point to talk about another issue that's kind of been going along. I mean, we have so many different issues right now with China happening all at once, and it's been a point of Heritage Explains to cover, try our best to cover all of these because it is really an issue of the day. And one of those was the slapping of sanctions on four Chinese officials. And we we said, you know, we're going to slap sanctions on you because of human rights violation. This was with, with, with the Uyghurs, the Muslims that are within China that are being oppressed right now, um, as well as what's happening in Hong Kong and the suppression of really freedom and liberty that's going on there. Um, and so in return for us slapping sanctions on them, they slap sanctions on Senator Cruz, Rubio, Representative Chris Smith and Ambassador Sam Brownback. Um, you know, obviously these are all members of the Republican Party of a similar mindset. Um, you know, and again, we're back at the tit for tat kind of a thing. Can you just can you just get a little bit into uh, the workings there? You know, we say it's for human rights, and they say it's a response. Well, again, I think tit, tit for tat is not what's going on here in any way, shape, or form. People need to be much. I think more deeply informed and engaged in, in what's going on with China and what the Chinese are doing. First of all, I would say our sanctions on them are actually quite effective. And these targeted sanctions where we target specific individuals um, can actually have some impact. And it, it, obviously they can't travel to the United States. Also any assets that they have here could be frozen, but more importantly, any financial transactions that they do, um, it's potentially could be sanctioned by, by the United States. Uh, what that does is they, they forces them not to operate in dollars. That's much less efficient since the dollar is the most effective global instrument. Um, it, it actually has a bit of an impact on them. Conversely, putting sanctions on Cruz and Rubio aren't going to really have much of an impact on Cruz and Rubio. Um, I, I doubt that they're, well, first of all, I doubt they're going to go to China. If they did, I doubt the Chinese would arrest them. Um, I doubt if the, they went anywhere, anybody would extradite them to China. Uh, they're unlikely to be affected on this in any way other than maybe to wear it as a badge of honor. That's not the purpose of the Chinese sanctions. The Chinese sanctions are there to intimidate everybody else. 
the, the Chinese sending a message to the rest of the world that, look, if we're willing to sanction officials in the most powerful country on earth, what would we do to you, dude? So if you're a Sri Lanka or a Bangladesh or Ethiopian official or even maybe a, a European official, they're like, it, we could come after you. And so it's really designed to intimidate others. It's almost like in a mafia, you know, when they, when they, when they whack a guy, you know, they leave him in the street. And the reason why they do that is to let everybody else know that, you know, if we got that guy, you know, and you, you don't make us happy, we can come after you. So it's, it really is designed as global intimidation. It's not so much any really kind of effective pushback against the United States. Yeah, you said in, in your recent piece, which we'll link to, it's in Fox News, he said, quote, the action is intended to send the world a message. Fear us. The free world's response should be to man up. So how does the free world man up? That's a great, great question. And I think it's something we already see. And look, this is not a Democrat, Republican thing. This is not one administration versus the next. This is the reality of geopolitics. And it's just this simple. Fundamentally, America, even with all our hatreds and controversy and vitriol, we, we believe in freely elected governments, most of us. Um, we believe in human rights, and we believe in the free enterprise system. Now, we got some arguments about that, and, and, and different nations that you know, we deal with, you know, they kind of roughly believe in the same thing. Maybe they interpret it a little differently. But Fundamentally, if you are in the free world, you believe in these three, four fundamental equities. The Chinese Communist Party fundamentally doesn't believe in any of those things. And not only do they not believe in any of those things, they see those three specific things really as obstacles to the expansion of Chinese power. And Chinese power, among other things, is specifically demined to undermine, push them aside, and marginalize them. And so if the countries of the world that believe in freely elected governments, free enterprise, and human rights, if they don't band together to protect those, en en those equities, the Chinese will undermine them and take them away from us. So I, I think countries do need to pull together. It doesn't mean that we have to get rid of China. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's – China can be there. Who cares? doesn't mean we even have to stop doing business with China. I mean, you want to buy, I don't know, toilet paper or something from China, go ahead. But it does mean that where China oversteps the bounds and are actually threatening our freedoms, our prosperity, our security, we should all stand up as a community and say, no more. You think about the bully in the schoolyard and the the scene in the movie where all the kids in the schoolyard stand together against the bully. And what does the bully do? The bully kind of backs down. I think that's what we're, what we're really looking for here. Yeah. That call for bipartisan support seems pretty basic. I mean, obviously we're in a different time right now, but I, I wanted to get to something a little more um, broad and, and, and you can take this on however you want, but, but it seems to me that, that we are constantly reacting to things that China throws at us. They, you know, censorship things. They are, um, you know, uh, doing all sorts of different things in terms of sanctions and consulates and spying and all the, all the things that we hear about. And it seems like they have a, a grand strategy for how to deal with us. Does, does the U.S. have a similar sort of strategy on how to deal with China? 
Oh, I actually think that we have been proactive on China the last four years. I mean, the way I kind of describe this is is the, the shift we've made is, remember the old movie Blazing Saddles? Yes, one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, big big burly character in there called Mongo. He was, was Alex Karras. He used to be a defensive lineman for the Detroit Lions. And and so Alex Karras plays this, this big bad guy in the movie, and there's a line in the movie where a guy says, he says, don't shoot Mongo because you might make him mad. That used to be American strategy towards China, is that China is rising. We should accommodate China's rise. We should avoid areas of, of disagreement and contention, find areas of cooperation, and as China rises, it will normalize and become a, a net contributor to uh, international norms and, and global peace and prosperity. The reality is that didn't happen. China viewed our, our unwillingness to defend our own equities as basically a green light to take advantage of us. So what we've done the last four years is really to flip that strategy on its head and say, rather than avoiding the contentious issues, rather than avoiding areas where we fundamentally disagree with China. Let's highlight those. Let's challenge the Chinese on those things, demonstrate where we are willing to protect our interests and force the Chinese to respond and accommodate to that. Yeah, you talk about, you know, weaker and meeker responses. And I think that um, in, in your piece, and, and again, I'm going to link to it. Um, and, and I think that that is a really, really prescient way of putting uh, what we need to avoid when it comes to China. Um, also, and I'm, I'm really glad, uh, Dr. Carafano, that you did not use the baked beans scene around the campfire from Blazing Saddles. I'm, I'm actually really impressed that you used the word prescient. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's 60 minutes kind of stuff there, brother. Listen, you get one word every episode, and that's my word, okay? Did you like, write that on your hand? <laughs> Where can I sneak this into the conversation? <laughs> like Carafano's down here with blazing saddles analogies. I'm going to be up here. <laughs> Hold on, I'm I'm looking uh, up the definition currently as 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 you speak. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Carafano, for this. I really really appreciate you joining us once again. You're such a great valued um, addition to the show all the time. So we'll send uh, the checks in the mail. Well, can I say one? Th I want to thank you if anybody's listening. It, it, this is one of the defining issues of our generation. You know, it, we worry a lot about what kind of America we want in the future, and we should, because that is the defining issue of our generation. But China is a global concern, and it is, it is not going away. And every American really needs to understand how do we deal with this issue in a way that we're, no matter what happens in competing with China, at the end of the day, America's free, America's safe, and America's prosperous. So anybody that takes even a couple of minutes to listen to an interview and, and think for themselves about this issue, my hat's off to you. You are a great American, so thank you. Dr. Carafano, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Heritage Explains. As always, don't forget to head to the show notes if you're interested in learning more about Dr. Carafano's work on China. Also, if you have a second, don't forget to leave us a comment, a five-star rating, or you can always send us an email at managingeditor at heritage.org. That's managingeditor at heritage.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Michelle is up next week, and we'll see you then. Be well.
Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.